G'day mate, Forty here. I got up at 3am this morning because I was so eager to live stream about that New Yorker article by Tad Friend, I think, in the December 11, 2023 issue about the guy Jesse Itzler trying to become the world's greatest motivational speaker while cleaning up his profession, morally improving it. And I just had some ideas that would motivate good people and it should motivate Jesse Itzler and, and his crowd but they want to clean up the profession which is largely they're preying on people's vulnerability like clean it up improve it make it an upstanding profession you should send out an email with the attention grabbing subject line don't buy my products then he should make a list of people who should not buy his information products and try to get into his coaching circle and spend thousands of dollars to go to his seminars. Like, don't buy my products if you don't already make six figures, right? Don't buy my products if you're primarily trying to buy hope. Don't buy my products if you're just trying to get the success that, that I've had, you know, rub off you in some magical way. And don't buy my products if you're trying to develop a parasocial relationship with me and, and with my crowd and with the community that I've built up. Right? Don't buy my products if you're not going to do the work. Don't buy my products if you think that if you just do the things that I say that you will reach equivalent levels of success that I have because I have some some gifts and people are born with different gifts and it would be unrealistic to expect that uh, your gifts are the same as my gifts or that my gifts are the same as your gifts and then you should list oh one more thing you know don't buy my products if you're losing at life you feel like there's a big hole in your soul if uh, you, you can't sustain relationships, right? if you're friendless, if you're you know, frequently getting fired, if you've got some compulsive addiction going on, whether it's substance or process, like, go get sober first. And then you should make a list and point out that, hey, there are a whole bunch of free resources out there that are easily available for people who feel like they're losing at life want to turn things around. So if you've got a compulsive emotional or substance addiction, you know, go address that. Go to AA or Dead is Anonymous or Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Like, go address your compulsive addictions. Like these programs are basically free. Uh, if you're lonely, then go go join a gym. Go join. Stamp club, go join a church or a synagogue, uh, take up archery, join a running club or a walking club or volunteer, neighborhood watch. And he should list off a whole bunch of free resources for people who want to turn their life around. People who feel like they're losing at life can take advantage of. And then he should specify the type of people who are likely to benefit from his information products and his coaching circle, 
right? You should say, hey, if you're, if you're already earning six figures and you've got a demanding sales job, a demanding executive job, you're trying to develop your own business, now, preferably while you're working a regular job on the side because most people are not cut out to being an entrepreneur, then if you've already got some established success, earning six figures, you're able to sustain relationships, you don't have any emotional or substance addiction that is holding you back in life, right? You have, you have friends, you have a community, right? you have people who care about you and people you care about, right? So if your life is basically working, basically securely attached, then I can help you reach a higher level of success in business, in sales, in leadership, in personal growth. Right? I'm sure that there are people who benefit from Tony Robbins. And I'm sure there are people who benefit from Jesse, is it Jesse, Jerry Itzler, right? So the honorable thing to do, right, if he wants to operate an honorable, upstanding, ethical motivation program, is to get specific about the type of people who benefit from his program. And then they list off examples. So, uh, uh, Joe was earning, say, $130,000 a year uh, selling uh, selling cars. Then he, he took my program and he was able to start earning $200,000 a year and he improved his relationship with his kids. Right? So if people selling these motivational success info products would market them to those who are most likely to benefit from them and as clearly as possible. You know, market, define, mention those who are unlikely to benefit from them. Like that would be the upstanding way to go. Like when I start talking on a topic, I try to give you know, some idea of how much I know about a topic. So I've probably read 200 self-help books in my life. I have probably listened to 300 hours of Tony Robbins uh, material and hundreds of hours of other self-help gurus and uh, I've gotten some benefit from it. Right? There's, uh, there's good stuff there, it can improve your life, but I spent over $10,000 on self-help motivational success information products and it probably overall was not a good idea for me but then I'm thinking ah there was one thing I learned in, in one product uh, which is kind of similar to what I'm doing now traffic geyser that's what it was called back in the day so this is about 14 years ago signed up for something called traffic geyser where you'd upload your content and send it out to 20, 30, 40 social media sites at the same time. And uh, from, from that, I developed you know, a small business helping people uh, get, get the word out about whatever it is that they wanted to get the word out on. And without a lot of effort, I probably earned about $70,000 from that. So. I guess I spent about ten, twelve thousand dollars on information products, and then I earned about seventy thousand dollars as a result of one of them in specific traffic geyser. 
So I, I guess that was a decent return. But I spent decades consuming uh, self-help uh, books and lectures and, and tapes and videos without any discernible difference in my life. So from, I don't know, age 12 to age 43, I was consuming these things with no discernible improvement in my life. And then minimal improvement, say, from age 43 to 50. And then it was only when I got into 12-step uh, programs that my life began to take off. And it was only when I got into 12-step programs with regard to money and earning and debt and how to conduct yourself in a responsible adult way with your finances that, like, the gears, like, started cranking. And my life made discernible progress. Uh, particularly financially, getting out of debt and uh, learning how to harness the hours of my day in an overwhelmingly productive way so that I began consistently feeling good about how I was spending my time. So I absolutely think that these self-help gurus can help you reach a high level of success if you're in a job that requires extraordinary levels of motivation. Okay sales jobs, you know, brutal jobs where you can't just follow directions, where you can't just fulfill protocols, where you can't just check things off, right? where you're not just pushing paper, right? where you have to think and you have to persuade people, you have to bond with people, you have to deal with difficult people, you have to learn to manage people to get the best out of people. Right? A lot of these skills are not necessarily normal or natural and I absolutely think that there are programs and information products that you can buy online. Uh, I spent thousands of dollars on physical therapy and then my last regular physical therapy session I noticed my physical therapist was using something called an activator and I asked him hey could I learn how to do that because I had a problem with my wrist the bones in my wrist would knit together because I was on on the keyboard so much and I'd have to go back to this physical therapist about every three or four months. He'd just pop my wrist with the activator and unlock the bones. And then suddenly my wrist would free up and everything would start working. And after I'd done this a few times, it suddenly occurred to me, hey, could I learn how to do this? And he said, yeah, I'll show you. But I didn't need him to show me. I went home on Amazon and bought an activator for 50 bucks. And the, the guidebook is an e-book for another 150 bucks. And way I went, oh my God, look at this. <laughs> and they've got these puppies uh, all over UCLA. I wonder if uh, these things work in, uh, in like downtown LA or South Central Los Angeles, or is this just one of those luxuries that uh, white privilege affords you? Nice places like Westwood and Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Century City. What do I know about the Esalen Institute? Esalen Institute is about the human potential. And again, I'm sure there's a lot of great things that come from the Esalen Institute. Like, you know, I'd love to go there for a weekend. You know, I love this stuff. I consume more of this stuff than 99.9% .9 of people. But I also recognize its limitations, that if you have some disabling emotional or substance addiction going on, you're not likely to get your life into gear and be able to properly take advantage of what it has to offer.
So I think if, if marketers of online information products and these motivational speakers who want to clean up their, their sector, uh, if they adopted these tactics, it would be quite impressive. And some of them do some of them. I think, oh, I'm trying to think of names, but Frank Kern, I think he, he often sends out emails with like, don't buy this product. And some of them say, I won't let you buy this product on a credit card. Uh, so there, there are some, some steps, but most people who turn to these products, of course, losing at life and looking for a magic pill, some fairy dust, some kind of uh, parasocial relationship with you know, a charismatic guru to solve their problems. So uh, yeah, it's impressive, I think, if you're trying to sell people something and you're up front say, you know what, I don't think this would work for you. This is really a benefit to people with following situation. But if you're in a, if you're in a different situation, uh, I'm not sure this is the best choice for you. I mean, that's a great way to gain credibility. So I just watched the latest PBS Frontline on the Uvaldi response. So the response of the Uvaldi Police Department and all sorts of other law enforcement agencies, including the Border Patrol in Texas, to this shooting going on at the Uvaldi Elementary School. And one thing that struck me is that it seemed like most of the responders, certainly all of the early responders who show up in this documentary, were of the same group as the kids who are getting mowed down in this elementary school, right? They're all, you know, they're all Latino. You think that some of them were, were kin, like some of them were, were, one guy, he was a law enforcement officer, responded to the scene. His wife was a teacher in distress. I think she may have even been killed, bled out because they didn't get to her soon enough. So you can have uh, that, that ethnic cohesion Right? You can have your ethno state and still have incredible levels of incompetency. Like it took them 77 minutes to finally open the door and confront the shooter. And they had so many explanations for why they didn't confront the shooter. Right? But the, the biggest one is they were waiting for a key to the door. But when they finally turned the handle, it appears that the door was never locked. Right? They could have gone in that door any time. And even though these were their kin or extended kin, and even though it's from their same group, they just sat outside as children and teachers bled out for 77 minutes. Another thing that, so in Israel, all right, just completely blew the, the Hamas attack. So Israeli intelligence had very specific warnings about this Mossad attack at least a year in advance and were comp virtually completely unprepared for it and did virtually nothing to protect itself. So here, like Jews looking after Jews, but just doing a terrible job. So obviously the ethno-state is not, it's not sufficient to, to build a cohesive, coherent, you know, high-trust, efficient society. I mean, Japan like coherent, cohesive, high-trust society, but incredibly low levels of productivity compared to American workers. Like American workers are highly productive. Like Americans basically work harder and longer hours than, uh, 
any other first world nation, approximately. So Japanese workers with all their high social trust, right, and uh, Japan highly homogeneous society, they're really low in productivity compared to more you know, heterogeneous American workers. And you'd think that things would just be so smoothly operating in the office because everyone gets along and they feel a strong sense of connection and shared ethnicity and nationality with each other that uh, they'd have boundless productivity, but not true. The other th problem with the Uvalde police response is they never establish an officer in command. So some parts of life work just fine without people in command. So in 12-step programs, right, there's not a lot of power, right? People who run a meeting don't really have, have much power. They're just a, a trusted servant. But uh, in certain situations, such as responding to an active shooter, you really need an officer in charge. In terms of security, war, uh, entrepreneurs, right, business, you need someone in charge. You need a hierarchy. Like men know this, like male dominated uh, professions, activities, right? We, we kind of recognize the need for a leader, and they never established a leader, an officer in charge, the Uvalde response. So that was a disaster. Right? So sometimes you hear sentiments, we need a strong leader. Well, yeah, there are many areas of life in government, particularly when it comes to security, where you need a strong leader, where you need one person is definitively in charge. Like the United States president has almost dictatorial foreign policy powers. Right? Has the same basic foreign policy powers as King George III did of Great Britain in the 1770s. Mad King George. Because when it comes to security, right, you need very clear lines of hierarchy. And people on the right kind of understand this in their bones. We kind of take it for granted that for most important things in life, you need hierarchy. I would assume, never been married, but I would assume in high-functioning marriages that the mother you know, runs certain aspects of the marriage and the father, the husband, runs other aspects of the marriage. So the mother's in charge of, say, uh, the kids and the father's in charge of bringing home the bacon or maybe the mother balances the checkbook or maybe the father balances the checkbook. But I would expect that there's clear lines of authority and accountability and, and hierarchy. I would assume that you start dividing up tasks and you take care of this and I'll take care of that. Because without clear responsibility, clear lines of authority, uh, people are lazy and it's like, oh, I thought you were going to take care of this. So that's an important PBS frontline, the latest one on the Uvalde police response, because they, they've, got, they've got video from a lot of the police debriefs after the event. My God, this is a busy street. Okay. And then cross over to the light, see if I can make it across that way. Follow the rules. Ah. Oh. Big news Saturday in Los Angeles is the greatest baseball player alive, Shohei Otani, a 29-year-old from Japan, 
only two-way player, meaning both a, a pitcher and a hitter. In, I don't know, 70 years in Major League Baseball history, signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and his contract was publicized as the biggest contract you know, ever signed in North American professional sports, supposedly $700 million. But stunning about this contract, and absolutely unprecedented, is that all but $2 million a year are, is deferred, right? And that reduces the tax that the Dodgers have to play, pay for his contract. And so it enables the Dodgers to sign other quality players because for Shohei Otani, his, his main objective is winning. So he's willing to give up enormous amount of money. So because he's deferring so much of his contract, it's really only worth about 480 million instead of 700 million. He's basically working for minimum wage, right? $2 million a year for the greatest baseball player in the last 50 years, right? To play for $2 million, he's essentially playing for minimum wage because he wants to win. Now, my question for you is, if I told you that there was a great sports star who was essentially willing to work for minimum wage to maximize the chances that his team would win and maximize the chances that his team could assemble a group of all-stars around him, would you expect that that player would be Jewish, Japanese, Mexican-American, uh, Anglo-American, right? I, I don't think all groups are equally willing to sacrifice for the good of the group. So it does not surprise me that a Japanese-American or someone who's Japanese would be willing to sacrifice so much so that his team could succeed. This reminds me of those Japanese soldiers who were still fighting in the Philippines almost 30 years after the end of World War II, would only stop fighting when their commanding officer came to where they were in the Philippines and commanded them to lay down their, their arms. Right, that incredible level of sacrifice for the team, for the greater good, you see it rarely. This Shohei Otani deferred contract, essentially working for minimum wage, is, to the best of my knowledge, unprecedented in sports. Unprecedented. You know what's also unprecedented? Japanese fans, after a sporting event, going around and picking up trash voluntarily. It's unprecedented. Like, who else does this? My God, I love the Japanese. He's not Sandy Koufax. No, he's greater. <laughs> 40, please pray for my gift to reach my girlfriend before Christmas. I believe boomers have increased prayer power. <laughs> so why are you getting this intense, like densely textured, thought-provoking, high-quality second live stream of the day and I have so many other responsibilities and things going on in my life because I'm passionate about helping you reach the next level of success and if you just join my master class for winners I will help you take things to the next level so you 
start winning in your love life, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your community, at work, in your intellectual, spiritual, social, psychic development. I want you to win, and I'm so passionate about that. I am throwing down two high-quality, densely textured live streams so that you too can step into the winner's circle. How am I doing there, folks? Ah, wouldn't it be funny if I'm a reading and get run down by a car? That'd be pretty sweet. But no, I am interested and passionate about what I'm talking about. And... Uh, that's why you get these live streams. And the other thing is, I made notes, right? Here, I made notes. Everything I was talking about, I, I wrote it down during the morning. And that's why you get the good quality stuff. The more prep I do for a live stream, right, the more notes I take, the more detail and precise the notes, the more you know, I review the notes, the higher the quality of the live stream. Then the other thing, it strikes me, is the difference between Shohei Otani, right, willing to work for minimum wage, defer riches for the team, and the Uvaldi police response, where they weren't even willing to walk through an unlocked door, where they were looking for every excuse possible to avoid confronting the shooter. And when they finally did enter through an unlocked door, Right, one of them got grazed by a bullet, and they, they shot the shooter dead. But meanwhile, children and teachers had bled out. So, Shohei Otani is willing to sacrifice for a team that is completely different from him genetically, nationally, religiously, linguistically. And the Ovaldi police responders, they shared you know, Spanish and English in common. Uh, they, they were kin with, with uh, kids and teachers there, uh, shared ethnicity, often nationality, uh, cultural practices, right? They had all these affinities, linguistic, cultural, religious, national, and yet they found every opportunity, every excuse under the sun to not do their duty. And so some of these type of people I think can be trained into producing a superior response. So many of these people were trained on how to deal with active shooter situations, but the, the excuse they'd make to those who were debriefing them was, oh, we, we, weren't, we weren't trained how to deal with a shooter who's behind a barrier. Well, the only barrier that this shooter was behind was an unlocked door, right? But that's the excuse they made, that they weren't prepared you know, to deal with someone behind an unlocked door. And they had to wait 77 minutes to find a master key to open an unlocked door, even though these were their kin, linguistic, religious, national, cultural, social ties. They were so close to these people, and they weren't willing to do their jobs and allowed the kids and the teachers to bleed out. While she Shohei Otani is willing to work for minimum wage, the people with whom he has no linguistic, religious, national, cultural ties. He's willing to lay all that down for people completely unrelated to him. People with whom he has almost nothing in common but the profession and practice of playing baseball. And these Uvaldi police responders 
were just absolutely pathetic. Now, I, I suspect that probably half of them could be trained up to be more effective in, in these kind of situations. But uh, overall, they did not strike you as the, the brightest bulbs. So do you really want competence with your police, with your law enforcement? I know we love our cops, we love our law enforcement, we love our military too because they're important. We love our airline pilots and air traffic controllers and our, our doctors and nurses. Do we want competence or do we want uh, affirmative action? Right? Do we just want to dish out these jobs on the basis of favored uh, political status? Or do we want to dish things out on the basis of excellence? Atani could be the greatest ever if he keeps his up. Do I believe in prayer power and mental psychic energy? Yeah, five minutes of show prep goes a long way. Well, it, when I do the, the big show, right, it takes probably a minimum of 12 minutes to get everything set up. And that's not even prep for content. All right, it's just, uh, just getting everything set up with the tech. Okay, do I believe in prayer power and mental psychic energy? Uh, I don't, I don't believe it, but I don't not believe it. I, I think, uh, I think it has an effect on us. So if we're praying for someone else, it may very well have a good effect on us. But do I believe in magic? No, I guess I don't believe in magic, but do I believe in the supernatural? Yes, I guess I do believe in the supernatural. So... Let's just say belief in the magical power of prayer and psychic energy is not, you know, it's not a big thing in my life. It's not, not you know, a major foundation to my life. Okay, let me, let me wrap up there after 30 minutes of high quality, densely textured content. I mean, this is densely textured as Loma Linda University in Nataline or Vegemite. For wheat bix, sanitarium health foods, what I was raised on.